Good morning. And I do mean good morning. I love mornings. Uh, my wife calls me annoyingly chirpy in the mornings. And she says, I do not want you to even talk to me before 11 a.m. Uh, because as you know, uh, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who love to get up early in the morning and those who hate those who love to get up early in the morning. And you know which camp I am in. What an honor to be here to come get a free copy of my book. That is great. Uh, not selling so well, so now we're just giving them away. So there's that. Um, it is great to be back in Boulder. I remember being here in 1980, long time ago. I remember a couple of things about being in Boulder. One is I got to go see Mork and Mindy's house. Any of you remember that? There you go, thank you, which is a politically correct way of asking how many of you are really old. <laughs> so I remember that. Uh, the other thing I remember, no kidding, a conversation that I had with a church member here. Now, I was in high school on a ski trip. That's why we were in Boulder. Uh, I can take you to the pew right over here where I was sitting for a church service. And I had a brief conversation with a woman who, at the time, I remember her being like in her hundreds, but at that age, Everybody seems super old, so maybe that woman is still here today. I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that she turned around, and we had a very, again, brief conversation. Asked my name, where I was from, told her I was from Virginia, and here on a ski trip. And, uh, and then she said, and we had this conversation right after the opening hymn. And she said to me, and I quote... You have an angelic voice. Because apparently she heard me behind her singing the hymn. And I can tell you nobody has ever said that to me before or since. Uh, in fact, no kidding, the guys down in our IT room at the church where I pastor in Kettering, Ohio, uh, they say that for kicks... What they love to do is uh, crank up my voice on a speaker down there, even though my cordless mic is not on live in the sanctuary, apparently they can listen to me singing. And they said, normally everybody's just on the floor rolling <laughs> as they're listening to me singing. So they have never hinted at my angelic voice. Uh, but I remember that conversation, 37 years Later, the power of a conversation, right? I think back to another life-transforming conversation. I was in fifth grade. Mr. Howerton came up to me after the church service one week, and he said, Carl, I think you would make a great preacher. In fact, I am going to insist with the pastor of the church that he let you preach one of these weeks. I'm in fifth grade. I said, really? Just came out of the blue. So why would you say that? I, 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 just, I just feel like you should preach. 
And so he arranged with the pastor of the church, which in full disclosure was my dad, there's that, but um, in fifth grade, I was preaching the 11 o'clock divine hour. And I've often wondered since how my career path in life might have been different had it not been for just that one conversation. So I'm really excited about our Bible studies together today as we are going to do together one of my favorite things to do, and that is eavesdrop. And we are going to eavesdrop together on conversations, life-transforming conversations that Jesus had with different people. So we begin with the conversation recorded in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, we're just going to work our way through the story, beginning in verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, and they were right. Reading from the Mishnah, which is the Jewish codified law, it says this, if a man is caught in adultery, he is to be enclosed in dung, that is manure, up to his knees. A soft towel set within a rough towel is placed around his neck in order that no mark be made for the punishment is God's punishment. Then one man draws in one direction and another in the other direction until he be dead. The Mishnah then goes on to say if a woman was caught in the act of adultery, she should be stoned right there. Now, what do you say? They were asking this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Finally, they have this itinerant preacher cornered because no matter what Jesus says here, they've got him. If he says, don't stone her, well, then he's putting himself up against the Roman law. He dare not say that. But if he says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, then... Well, it's the other way around, isn't it? If he says, don't stone her, he's going up against the law of Moses. If he says, stone her, he's going up against the Roman law. Whatever he says, they finally have him. He can't get out of this one. Now, what do you say? But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I have to tell you, when I first discovered this verse in the Bible, it immediately became my favorite verse in all of Scripture. Uh, it has sort of become my signature story, dating back to when I was a junior in high school, I went to a conservative boarding academy, Shenandoah Valley Academy. Word got out, night before homely, big party going down in Nestler's room. So after the lights went out in the dorm, we all snuck up to the third floor, entered a candlelit casino. The agenda that night, penny poker. I had never played poker before. I didn't even know how to play poker, but I guess that's why parents invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in conservative Adventist education so we can learn some of these important <laughs> life skills. 
Now, you call it fate, you call it luck, call it whatever you want. All I know is that by 3 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting behind a mountain of pennies. To this day, I remember wondering at the time, does God expect me to pay tithe <laughs> on my windfall? Just one of the ethical questions we deal with in conservative boarding schools. Well, by that time in the morning, we were getting hungry. Someone suggested, I know, let's raid the cafeteria. Everybody was doing it back in the day, and so they snuck out of the dorm, raced across campus, let themselves in through a window in the cafeteria. When they got inside, they heard the strangest sound coming from the pantry. <sighs> Peeking around the corner, there they see Mr. Strickland. He was, no pun intended, fed up with all of these kids breaking into the cafeteria, so he was determined to catch the culprits. The only problem, this really was not his spiritual gift. <laughs> he was much too deep of a sleeper to pull off this thing. So while he snored, they literally passed chocolate eclairs right over his nose. And then they blew him a kiss goodnight, brought all of this food back to the dorm room. We had a feast that defies the senses. Well. Many years after this, I bumped into Mr. Strickland, asked him, hey, do you remember? Oh, he remembered, all right. And he laughed at the memory and said, you can tell that story as much as you want, and I have. <laughs> and he said, uh, by the way, Hafner, you realize, don't you? You boys never would have been caught had you just kept your big mouths shut which I'm sure that's true, but come on. A story that good, you don't keep it to yourself. And so I told a few, and friends told a few, and they told a few others. And before we knew it, we were all sitting outside the principal's office, waiting our turn, one by one, to go in before the disciplinary committee. Nessa went in, Kevin went in, I went in. Last person to go in was Jeff. After he shared his rendition of the story, the principal peered over his glasses, leaned onto the imposing mahogany desk, and then growled, is there anything else, young man, that you want to tell us before we punish the whole lot of you? And it was in that moment, Jeff quoted John chapter 8, verse 7. <laughs> Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And just like that, it became my favorite verse in the whole blame Bible. And again, Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground. What do you suppose he wrote? Of course, tradition has it that he started to sketch out the actual sins of the accusers. And there is evidence for that in the original text as the Greek word for to write is graphien. Here is the word kata graphien, to write against someone. That this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, I've always been intrigued with that little detail that John includes. The older ones first. In other words, it's the spiritually mature. It's the ones who appear to be the holiest, the most righteous, because they know 
their polluted hearts and motives. They know. They're the first ones to leave. Steve Brown in Christianity Today writes, it's worth noting that Jesus did not condemn bad people. He condemned stiff people. We condemn the bad ones and affirm the stiff ones. Whether it was a prostitute, a tax collector, an outcast, Jesus reached out to them. It was a motley crew of riffraff that followed him around, and it never embarrassed him or made him feel uncomfortable. Who felt uncomfortable around Jesus? It was the holy people. So they began to slip away, the older ones, the spiritually mature ones, the stiff ones, first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? You miss something here in the translation if you're not careful. In the way that Jesus addresses this woman, woman, where are they? It's a very endearing title. It's the same way you remember that Jesus addresses his own mother, suggesting without any question, Jesus knows this woman. He loves this woman personally. He knows her. We live in such an impersonal era anymore, don't we? Where companies, of course, try to make you think like they know you personally, but we know they don't. I received a piece of junk mail a while back on the outside in large font. It advertised, at last, Carl Hafner. They had my name. They must know me. At last, Carl Hafner, a visa designed, especially for young, active women just like yourself. <laughs> I don't think they know me that well. A typical case of mistaken... Identity, no mistaken identity here. Jesus knows this woman. Quick fun story of mistaken identity. Cherie and I, uh, my wife and I, just celebrated our 30-year anniversary. Um, so, yeah, it's pause for the raucous applause because <laughs> 30, I'm not even gonna lie, I'm really proud of that. 30 years is a long time to be married. And uh, we still love each other, and it's, it's all good. So we go to Hawaii. Coming back, uh, when we got to the airport, it was just packed. And somebody explained, yeah, there was a security breach earlier in the day. And so the line to get through security was very long, about an hour wait, even through the TSA pre-check. And so we got in line and waited and waited until we finally got up to the TSA counter when I realized... I left my brand new 4K camcorder in the rental car. And so I said to Sheree, you go ahead, I gotta go get it, and maybe I'll catch up with you tomorrow, we'll see what happens. So I ran out to the curb and didn't have any idea how long the shuttle would take 
to get there to take me to Alamo, and so I got a taxi, and I told the guy, just drive as fast as you possibly can. And then when we got there, I said, you just wait right here. I'm going to go check the rental car that I had just dropped off. And if I was you, I don't know if you're a believer or not, but if I was you, I would pray because I give much better tips if I'm in a happy mood, and I will be in a happy mood <laughs> if I get this camcorder. So just pray that I find the camcorder. And I did. And so I raced back. We raced back to the airport, and I get the, in this long line once again to wait to get through security. And as I'm waiting there, a security officer approaches me and says, uh, you shouldn't have to wait in line. Here, c come with me. I'll let you through this special TSA security gate. Like, really? I like this place. And um, he said, we get celebrities all the time on our island, and whenever I can, I try to help them out a little bit. And so I said, oh, well, you must have been at the convocation last weekend where I was speaking. Oh, I didn't know you were speaking here. Oh. No, I just love all of your movies. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you. <laughs> you don't mind me asking, what was your favorite of all of my movies. And uh, he said, um, oh, it's just so hard to tell. I know, right? Uh, well, you know, you, you were brilliant in the Hunger Games, and oh boy, didn't see Hunger Games. Uh, and White Men Can't Jump, you were really good in that one. White Men, I didn't see that movie either. Uh, but my favorite sitcom of all time is Cheers. Well, I have been told that I have a resemblance to Woody Harrelson, who played the bartender in Cheers. So I said, oh, yeah, oh, I loved that series. I mean, it was so much fun, and, and Ted Danson, and all these, they're great. yeah, yeah. So we're getting, and he's, he's getting me through security now, and I'm thinking, I might as well just bring it up and be proactive here because it's going to come up. <laughs> so I said to him, um, so do you want to see my ID? And he said, no, no, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Uh, and he said, besides, celebrities like you, I know you always carry an alias. <laughs> I do, I do. It's true. My alias is Carl Hafner. <laughs> From Ohio. Now, this is true, and I knew it to be true. Woody Harrelson, I'm not making this up, lives or grew up in Lebanon, Ohio, which I have some old Ohio friends you know. I live five, ten minutes north of Lebanon, Ohio. So that is a really good alias, right? Uh, and uh, since I had a long, oh my, that, I said a quick little fun story, didn't I? And it was so long, it turned off my computer. And since I was waiting for forever yesterday at the airport, I just went on Wikipedia to find out a little bit more about Woody Harrelson. And uh, he worked at Kings Island, which is very close to where I live. And he's quoted as saying, uh, back in high school, when he went to Lebanon High School, 
I was getting into theology and studying the roots of the Bible. I was a real mama's boy and deeply mesmerized by the church. And this is a quote from an interview that he did, well, for Playboy magazine, but I saw it on, <laughs> I saw it on Wikipedia, I'm just telling you. All right. So anyway, um, mistaken identity, this was not the case with Jesus. He knows this woman, and he still seeks her out. He loves her. Maybe you remember the old story, one of my favorites, of the Christian professor who taught at a secular university. Whenever he had opportunity, he liked to incorporate his Christian teaching uh, into the lectures, but of course, being a secular school, he needed to be careful about this. One afternoon, he engaged the students in a conversation, asking them, how do you suppose world thought leaders would have treated a woman who was a prostitute had they seen one? And they went down the list, Mahatma Gandhi, Confucius, uh, Muhammad, and so on. And then he got to the one he really wanted to talk about. What about Jesus? How do you suppose Jesus would have treated a prostitute had he seen one? Kid in the back of the class shot up his hand, sir, we'll never know. To which the professor said, well, I beg to differ because there's actually a story in the Bible referencing John chapter 8, the very conversation we're looking at, where Jesus did see a prostitute, to which the kid replied, well, I'm well aware of that story, sir, but do you really think that when Jesus saw that woman, he saw a prostitute? Oh, heavens, no. He saw a valued child of God. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. We will hear this message from all of the conversations we look at today that Jesus has, I do not condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus did not come to point an accusing finger, but rather to extend a helping hand. And of the many, many take-homes we could extract from a classic conversation like this one, let me just suggest one. God does not condemn you Rather, he knows you, he loves you, and he invites you to experience a new life in him. God does not condemn you. He knows you, he loves you, and he invites you into this relationship, this new life with him. For God so loved you he sent his only begotten son so that if you will just believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. We can be absolutely certain of our eternal life. And then John goes on to say, for God did not send his son into this world to condemn you. He did not send his son to condemn the world, but 
to save the world through him. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in anyone who hangs on to Jesus. How does Paul put it? Nothing can separate us from God. Romans 8, 38, 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything at all, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. One more time, this from the KHV version, the Carl Hafner version, goes like this, Jesus loves me, this I know. I know this love beyond all my qualms and questions, and nothing can compromise that love, nothing. Not the grief when cancer claimed my closest friend. Not the fatigue when dementia stole my mom's mind. Not the anger when my spouse betrayed me. Not my secret sin that chokes me every waking moment. Neither the mean voice nor the kind voice in my head can mar his love. Nothing in my past, nothing today, nothing tomorrow. Not the mismanaged anger, not the compulsive gambling, not the embezzled funds, not the abortion, not the felony, not the DUI. Nothing in all of heaven, nothing in all of hell. Not my lying tongue, not my lustful eyes, not my cheating heart, not my twisted thoughts, not my lazy hands, not nothing can tarnish, undermine, weaken, dull, dent, or destroy my confidence in Jesus' love. Jesus loves me, this I know. God does not condemn you. He knows you, he loves you, and he invites you to experience in him a new life. Jesus loves me, this I know. So I'm wondering as a closing prayer, maybe we could sing together, and I will lead you with my angelic voice. <laughs> will you sing with me? You'll want to sing loud to cover me up, trust me. Let's all sing together. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the 